And I remember the first thing I had to do was uh, change in the locker room. Now, as a first to second grader, those were in the days where, you know, your mom actually could let you go into the locker room. She'd say, you can't go into the locker room and just put your swimsuit on over your clothes. You're going to have to take off your clothes, put them in a locker, and I'm supposed to change. There's two guys in there, and they don't have any clothes on because they're changing. Taking a shower, getting the chlorine off, and they were probably older people, like my dad's age. So I got real uncomfortable, and I ran back out. My mom said, do you want me to take your hand and go in there? And I said, oh, no, because I didn't want my mom to see what a naked man looked like. Summertime. Mm. Warm temperatures, homemade ice cream, cookouts, swimming pools. Days and days of freedom away from school. There's smells, tastes, great sounds, and beautiful imagery to last a lifetime. As a boy of six years old, I've retained some stories and memories of a place that made summertime live forever. This is Life Learning Curve, and I'm Paul Hart. Stand by. Summer and swimming pools. How does that all fit together? Well, as a kid, there was nothing more fun than going to a swimming pool with your friends in the summertime, and that was the same for me. I had an older sister by three years, and she and I were offered an opportunity to go to a swimming pool. Now, we were middle class. Incidentally, I didn't know what class we were until I was an adult, because when you're a kid and you're that young, you notice, well... Everybody seems to be about the same. But not everybody is the same. Some of my friends' houses, when I went in, they had fans instead of an air conditioner, or they had one fan. My dad had saved a lot of money and bought an air conditioner, and that was a window unit, and there it sat. But still, summertime's in the Midwest, it's hot. So, my dad came home one day and said, we need to have a family meeting. Now, I don't know how many other people had family meetings, if you think about it, did your family ever say, everybody, let's come in, let's sit down and talk? Usually that threw fear into my heart. But in this situation, on this particular day, in between first and second grade, there's my mom, there's my dad, there's my sister, myself. And my dad said, I had an opportunity come my way today, and I think you kids will like it. This is not at all what I remember family meetings being like. So I leaned forward a little bit and listened, and he said, As a principal at the local grade school, there's a new country club that opened up, and they offered us a free summer pass. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he, my dad said, well, that means we can go swimming, and I can go golfing. My dad loved to golf. Having two kids, he hadn't been able to golf much. Why? We were always on a budget. My parents were very young in the Great Depression. They had learned to grow up frugally, which was good. I think we all need to do more of that. And they watched every penny. And every week they would count what they made and what they could save. So having this opportunity come our way to go to a swimming pool was just fantastic. I was elated. I was just out of my mind happy. When can we go, Dad? My dad said, well, right away. It was June, and it was warm out. You could already hear the locusts buzzing in the trees. And 
everything was short sleeves, shorts, short pants, flip-flops. All right. It was called Apple Orchard Country Club. This is not your lavish pool you might see in Caddyshack or where you go to have a ritzy, ritzy wedding or banquet. It was just a nice community place. We showed up, and I remember the first thing I had to do was uh, change in the locker room. Now, as a first to second grader, those were in the days where, you know, your mom actually could let you go into the locker room, and she could actually let you change. But I had a great deal of worry about what this would be like, mostly because she talked so much about it. She'd say, you can't go into the locker room and just put your swimsuit on over your clothes. You're going to have to take off your clothes, put them in a locker. What locker, Mom? Put them in a locker, choose one that's empty. How do I know which one's empty? Well, they'll have a lock on it, or if you open a little door of the locker, they'll already be clothes in there. Don't use that one. No, don't use that one. Okay, so the first day we're there, my sister and I jump out of the car, run into the locker room, and I'm supposed to change. There's two guys in there, and they don't have any clothes on, because they're changing. Taking a shower, getting the chlorine off, and they were probably older people, like my dad's age. I think this was probably the first time I'd ever seen anybody unclothed before, and it really surprised me. And it just rung inside of me. Something's not right about this. And I got real uncomfortable and I ran back out. I wasn't one of those kinds of kids who would run out and say, Mom, there's naked men in there. I'm not going back in. Because I knew that would be the wrong thing to do. So I just came back out. My mom said, do you want me to take your hand and go in there? And I said, oh, no. Because I didn't want my mom to see what a naked man looked like. So (laughs) I said, okay, I'll go back in. So by that time, both of these guys were on their way out. The locker room was empty. I found a locker way in the back, and nobody was in there. And I changed really quick, threw my clothes in the locker, and ran out to the poolside. And there was my mom and my sister, and they had already changed, and they were waiting for me. So that was a little bit traumatic for me. The trauma of the locker room ended. And as a little kid, incidentally, that's pretty much how every day is. Every day, there's something new, there's some new trauma, there's some new thing that goes on that makes your life full of anxiety. And then it goes away. After the anxiety of the locker room, I'm outside, and I realize that my mom has already signed me up for swim lessons. And the first one would be at the very end of the first day. So I played in the pool the first day. Kind of a shy kid, so I didn't necessarily uh, play with kids. So I just kind of played on my own and did stuff. But it was fun just being in the nice, cool, wet water on the hot summer day. You can hear the locusts and you can hear the even hear the wind blow. It was so far from the highway. It was nice. I was happy to be there. But when 3.30 came, everybody had to get out of the pool because that's when swim lessons began. And I was introduced to a kind of cool-looking guy named Rudy. And Rudy was the swim instructor. And I'd say probably he was early 20s, dark skin from a lot of sun, and he was also a lifeguard. Rudy. Rudy had us all get in the pool, and all of us were non-swimmers, apparently. I, like I said, I could dog paddle 
but I didn't know about the freestyle or anything else yet. I could float. We did the paddle boards and we held on to the edge and kicked our feet. And then we did the arm over arm to simulate the freestyle uh, type thing. We floated on our backs. These are all things that I could do and they were quite fun. And all of a sudden I noticed the girl next to me and started thinking, I think she's doing better than I am. I think she's a better swimmer. I can do better than I'm doing. So I tried even harder. So I remember grabbing the kickboard when we had the kickboards and I kicked and kicked and kicked and I'm going halfway across the pool. And you're kicking so hard with the kickboard, it's making so much splash and so much noise that you're just like in your own world. And all of a sudden I hear a shrill whistle. Stop splashing with the kickboards. Booty. Okay, so I reluctantly came back to Rudy and carefully followed instructions after that. Toward the end of my first swim practice, one of the boys in our group who had been taking lessons probably longer than me, longer than one day, obviously, swam the length of the pool on his own. And I remember Rudy clapping and jumping up and down, and we all clapped for him because that was a main big thing. That was a huge thing. And we smiled, and I thought, well, that's really cool. You know, I hope that's me pretty soon. Then I remember Rudy doing something that is still etched in my mind to this very day. He grabbed this boy and picked him up and threw him over his head into the center of the pool as a celebration. However, when you're between first and second grade in age, you don't know if maybe this boy did something wrong. Maybe he's being punished. But then I noticed after Rudy threw him in, everybody cheered, yay, yay, so I cheered too. And I knew something. I found out that day that the day that I learned to swim across the pool, Rudy was gonna grab me and he was gonna throw me in the middle and I'd come up sucking for air. It did happen. I decided after about three lessons that I was going to apply everything I could, learned how to swim, Rudy had to pick me up, a somewhat husky kid, as I've been told, and he threw me. I remember being over his head. I remember landing in the water. I remember touching the bottom and looking up underwater, and it seemed like I was really deep and pushing to the surface. I came out of the surface of the water sucking for air, just sucking in for air and trying to survive it all. I did. Now, my family was fortunate enough to retain this summer tuition to this country club for the next, I'd say, five years. And they generously offered it to my dad, who was the principal of a school in this community. And um, it was a really kind gesture, I think, the type of thing you don't see these days. Again, I'm going to tell you, this is a middle-of-the-road country club. It wasn't a highfalutin place. It was a nice place and well-kept up. But I think if we were members there, the price probably wouldn't have been extraordinary. But it was outside of the range of what we could manage. Day in, day out, on nice weather days, we would go to the swimming pool. My mom liked to go, too. She was My mom was a non-swimmer. And 
she would sit in, on the lounge chairs and she had friends that she had met there and they'd talk and laugh and, and it was nice to see my mom there. And there were times where she'd leave to go shopping and she'd come back, but it wasn't too frequently. So it was neat to have my mom there. My sister's much more social than me at that age. So she immediately gathered a group of friends and they were always off playing or diving or having challenges or competitions. I learned the value of getting a swim mask and diving for pennies or diving for quarters or things like that or just anything you could find in the bottom of the pool, which was usually band-aids or something like that. Really nice. You'd come up with a band-aid. Hey, look what I have. One day, I look up and there's somebody I recognized at our community pool. Not somebody from my neighborhood, not somebody from local, not somebody from school, but it was my cousin. My cousin and their family had a membership there. I have to tell you, my cousin Phil was a normal, bright kid, but he took great joy in making others feel his wrath. So in his own mind, others were less intelligent, less engaged, or too overweight. And in my case, that summer, all three. He always had competitions going that he could win. So at a very early age, I just learned don't engage in competitions with Phil because he's going to he's going to win. He was also the type that after he won, he would laugh out loud. He would bend from the waist and point. And he had a very unique laugh. Something like... <laughs> at first, that was a funny laugh to me. It was almost like a cartoon, but it wasn't funny for long because he was making competitions all the time. And at that age, I didn't realize he was setting me up to lose at all kinds of competitions. My cousin Phil was wiry and thin and agile, moved really quickly. I was a husky kid. I think my dad was creating a football player at an early age. My cousin Phil would often taunt me about my weight or my size and then wind up bending over from the waist and laughing. <laughs> and the more I got to know my cousin, and the more his mom had him play with me, because I wasn't really interested in playing with him, the more I realized that I was going to be taunted, I was going to be challenged to things, and I was always going to lose. That begins to dig at you after a while. I never did do anything to challenge him back ever for the rest of my life but I saw him take this same behavior all the way from the swimming pool that day through high school Phil would always have challenges and that in high school they weren't just for me they were for everybody else but he challenged people to things where they could just I can eat this faster than you I bet I can if he learned a magic trick of some sort, I make this coin disappear if you give me a dollar it was always that kind of stuff, always followed by that laugh. And oftentimes you could hear in the hallways at school that laugh go off. <laughs> he also was the type of a kid that if he was going to do something like jump in the water, and do you remember how much fun it was just to jump in the water on a, a summer's day? It just made you feel great. But to somebody watching you jump in the water, they don't feel that. 
So my cousin never put two and two together on that one. So whenever he jumped in the water, he would scream for his mother to watch. And Phil would yell, Mama, watch, watch, Mama, watch, 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 Mama, watch. And pretty soon my aunt would look over and she'd say, Okay, Phil, everybody's watching, not just me. And then he would jump in the water, just jump. And he'd come up and he'd be all happy. And water would be running off him and be like, yeah. I don't know if he expected applause or what. My favorite day, and it should not be my favorite day because it doesn't sound like I'm a nice person on this one, but my favorite day is when my cousin decides that he's going to jump off the high dive. And I, I'd done it before. I didn't like it up there. It was pretty small. A lot of the older kids were diving off the high dive. That was pretty cool. I couldn't do that yet. And so my cousin is on the high dive. Now, when you're up there, sometimes it's part of your day at the swimming pool is watching people dive off or jump off the high dive because they make a lot of splash or a little splash. There's my cousin Phil, and he's telling me ahead of time, I'm going to go off the high dive. I'm going to go off it. Watch me. Okay. Watch me. I'll go up the high dive right now. Watch me. Okay. So he goes up the steps. He's getting that running start thing where you get down, crouch down, and he's rocking back and forth like he's going to get ready to go. And he just keeps doing that. And it turns into like a Honeymooners episode where Ralph Crandom just yells, Will you get on with it? But no, he's rocking back and forth. And then he decides he needs more possible attention. So he yells, Mama! Mama, watch! Watch! Everybody in the pool is watching Phil. He runs, leaps off the high dive, and does a belly flop in the pool by accident. Floats back up to the surface, and I'm just hanging on the side of the pool, and he's going, Oh, 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 Mama, ah, ah, my tummy's all red, ah. So I felt from the inside out this guilty smile creep across my face. And that's when I learned something. In life, all you have to do sometimes is sit back and watch things happen. It entertains you, but it can also beat up your mental state of mind all at the same time. It was going to be a great summer. the summer was fun. I'd see my dad out golfing with his friends and he'd stop by to the gate of the swimming pool and he'd say, how are you guys doing? And I can remember him kissing my mom and saying, how are you doing, honey? Let's all uh, dry off and we'll go home. We'll have hamburgers on the grill. Or let's all dry off and go home and we'll get a milkshake later tonight. My dad was all about the incentive part of things. On It wasn't always food, but it was after. let's go home and after dinner I'll play catch with you. There's always stuff he wanted to do, and he was really good taking that next step with the family, something that I tried to do as a parent as well. So I would always ask my mom on a daily basis, Mom, can I have something from the snack bar? All the other kids are getting them. And she'd say, No, I'm sorry, honey, you can't today. Those are very expensive snacks over there. We'll get something at home. And you know what? God bless her for doing that because as a husky kid probably at that age, 
that's the last thing I needed to be seen walking around a swimming pool with a candy bar or something like that. So thanks, Mom. But what I did like was the kids, they'd get those choco malts. And if, if you remember those from your childhood, I don't know if they still have them, these cup filled of, with uh, uh, ice cream, probably frozen solid as a rock. And you'd get a, a wooden spoon, and you stick the wooden spoon into the hard ice cream, and you'd watch kids stick it in, and the spoon would break off because it was so cold. So some of the things I recall just about going to the pool for five years, from age six through age 11 or so, is I can remember how it influenced me musically. They put in a loudspeaker system, and I don't mean blaring loud, but just a PA system, and they would play current contemporary music from the radio. And that's where I really learned to like music. Going to the pool, and every day you'd start to hope you heard your favorite song that was on that week. That was one of my favorite things when I came out of the locker room. What song was playing? You know, later I did get into music more and more, but I truly believe that was the place that influenced me most about popular music. I remember the great smells of the chlorine from the pool. Not strong chlorine, but just vague, mild chlorine smell. And tanning oil, the coconutty, kind of butterish type smell that people used to have back then when they would sit in the sun. They'd lather up with all this, no SPF anything back then, of course, because people didn't know or understand. But uh, they would put on oils and things like that, and it smelled like a fruit salad of some kind. Most of the time, my mother would be with us, and she'd say, okay, it's time to go, we've got to get home so I can start dinner, or I've got to get home so we can go grocery shopping, along the way you kids can help me. But there's a few times she left and said, I need to come back and pick you guys up. And it was usually she had to go over to my aunt's house or something. And it was like 20 minutes. So she was really good and didn't really leave us alone for a long time. My sister and I were standing outside by the locker rooms. We were all cleaned up and dried off. And, you know, you've got that great feeling because you still have that little uh, wetness on your skin and the wind's blowing and it's a warm day. And my sister said to me, look at that tree over there. It's got apples on it. Okay, apple orchard, country club. Okay, apple orchard. They're apple trees. And that was the first time I realized you could eat fruit off of trees. She picked off this little crab apple, and she bit into it. And she said, it's really juicy, but it's a little sour. And she handed one to me. And... I was apprehensive at first, then I took a slight bite of it, and it tasted good. Sour apple. It was good. She pointed out to me I shouldn't take the ones with the black holes in them because that means worms could get into the apple, and you don't want to eat a worm. Oh, no. So on those very few days that my mom came back to pick us up, my sister and I loaded up on crab apples to the extent that when dinner time came, we were so full we could barely eat. tell this one story about the country club and that's when I was in eighth grade we are not at the pool much anymore and I had added a friend Steve to my life and 
Uh, he was a great guy. He was a similar equal build to me. He was funny. He was smart. He'd come from Atlanta, and he had a little bit of a southern accent. And everybody liked to be around Steve. And for some reason, he and I hung out a lot. We enjoyed each other's company. And I'll, I'll tell you, one of the things about Steve is he wasn't uh, shy about singing. If he wanted to belt out an Elvis song, he'd just start singing at full voice. And he was good, too. No training. So the rest of us were a little embarrassed to do stuff like that, but we liked having Steve around because he was so open about things. Well, Steve and I started golfing in the summer of eighth grade, and we weren't very good, but we'd taken some lessons. He had some clubs, and I had some clubs. And we had heard from our fathers that if you go golfing, you don't have to take the full set with you. Because you can go out in the course with, say, like a driver, a five iron, and a putter, and you can do the whole course. Well, at Apple Orchard, the course was a par three course. And what that means is the holes aren't very long. It's more of a uh, iron course. You use your irons for the shorter shots. So oftentimes we took our three wood, our five iron, and our putter. And even the five iron would act as a wedge <laughs> if we went into the sand trap. But the thing I, most important that I need to express here is something that we were ignorant about, and to this day is still a mystery to me how we did this. But that summer, Steve and I, together, got more hole-in-ones. Uh, we'd tee off, and we'd search for the ball and couldn't find it. It was in the hole. And we just thought that's what happened that you got holes in one all the time. And I know you don't. It doesn't happen virtually ever most of your life if you play golf. Maybe on your second and third shot, you'll come close, but it doesn't go right in the hole. And if it does, it's a cause for celebration. I'd say I probably had two or three holes in one that summer. And if I remember right, Steve had maybe four or five because I was counting. And uh, we'd just laugh about it and move ahead. We did things like uh, we tried teeing off with the putter just to see what would happen. And I can remember coming home and telling my father, Hey, Dad, I, we went golfing today and we tried something different. He said, we used the putter as a driver and teed off with it. And he said, well, you can't do that. And I said, yeah, we did it. What happened? I said, the ball went just about the exact same spot as it does with the driver. There's no response you can give for that. As we got older, as I went from age 6 to age 11, we went to the pool a little bit less and less, but we still enjoyed going. My mom did, my sister did, I did. So it was a fun thing we looked forward to every summer. One day, when I turned 12, school was out, it was June, and I said, Mom, can we go swimming tomorrow? And she said, um... No. And I said, how about the next day? Can we go the next day? And she said, well, no, hon, it's, it's too expensive. And that was when I was told that our pass to the swimming pool was over. It surprised me, and I learned something right then, that things don't go on forever and ever. And that's something only an 11-year-old can learn or understand at that age. I know some adults that don't understand that. But 
Actually, the country club had done us a great favor. They weren't being bad people. They had given us something for free and given us something that we enjoyed and we met people and we networked and we laughed and had fun. And we were all the better for it. So my mom and dad collectively came together that night and said, you know what, let's write a thank you note to the owner of the club. And so we did. And I can remember my mom writing a half a page on a, a piece of stationery and my dad writing a paragraph on the stationery, my sister writing something on the stationery. And that whole time I knew I was going to be last and I had to write something really good in my own head, something quite poignant or something that would make a difference because I really did like the time we spent there. So I wrote something to the effect of, Dear Mr. Reynolds, you have the best place I've ever seen to swim, golf, or have dinner. I hope you never go out of business. I signed my name, Paul, and thought, yeah, you nailed it. Just last summer, I took the bike path out to Apple Orchard Country Club again, and I turned in at the sign and rode past the crab apple trees that were still full of crab apples after all these years. The seasons hadn't let them down. And I smelled the fresh-cut grass and heard the buzzing locusts and all the birds chirping, all hushed by that familiar soft breeze. I admit to you, I felt younger again. I steered my way past the parking lot and onto the entrance. And hanging on the locker room door that I once entered was a sign. Out of business. I put my head down and began to think back, remember about my days here. I remember entering the locker room as a six-year-old and anticipating what great song I'd hear when I'd walked out into the pool area. <laughs> I remember worrying about my cousin Phil and that he might be there that day and getting out of the water and drying off in the warm summer sun. I realized I had taken the day-to-day -day ordinary life I had lived for granted. I assumed that this experience would always be there forever for more generations. It was like that feeling you get at the end of every summer, but this time it felt permanent. I don't want to miss the wonder of every day, each day, even the ordinary things that we go through, anymore, ever again. For Life's Learning Curve and my Apple Orchard Country Club memories, thanks. I'm Paul Hart. Our show is put together by producer Paul Hart with assistance by Darwin Peterson, Barney Hines, and S.T. Dog. Mixed by Mike Coleman. Technical direction, Mike DeRue. As always, musical assistance by Riley Hart. On this show today, special thanks to Ron Reynolds. Please visit our website, lifeslearningcurve.buzzsprout.com. Don't forget to choose the like or subscribe button. I'm Paul Hart, and we will be back soon for more stories from 
Life's Learning Curve.